This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Sieber. Good morning, Robert. How are you doing? Oh, Peter, uh, I had a busy, very, very busy weekend because oh, really? we had more than 1,000 guests from all over the world. Oh, what was that? What at was our that round table in Würzburg. Yeah. Round table you had? Round, what round table was that? Uh, round table, it's, um, this is a service club. In which I am involved, and we also okay. and we also talk about AI testing on the oh, on the event, really? because some participants uh, recognized my voice. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, we oh. do some some charity and okay. some hands-on activities, and mm -hmm. once in a year we meet. There's several festivals. Uh, the next one is in Tallinn, mm -hmm. and in summer we're meeting in Kapstadt, and oh, wow. yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, amazing. Very good. What about you? Oh, did I do? Not sure. The winter came back here, right? Yeah. Yep. Very strong. So here in the south of Germany, we have whatever, 10 centimeters, 15, what is that, in inches, maybe yeah. five inches, something five like inches. that. I don't know. Of snow, I guess. Okay. Yeah, for those international uh, listeners, for those people interested in skiing that's a big fun you know we had a, a lot of discussion here of course if people were still supposed to be skiing you know especially in the bavarian alps which are not that high i guess now as as the winter is back that i assume i haven't heard that many people did go into the mountains we just uh, spent time around our area here in the snow and I know what is your news today. Would you like to start? <laughs> That's actually the other thing that I spend most of my time on. Yeah, well, as you, you had heard already, so the uh, autonomous driving inventor, uh, Ernst Dieter Dickmans, and some of you listeners will already have heard, and we, we talk about it again at the end. He's received the Cross of Merit first class from the federal president of Germany. And that news was, we knew that, you know, a couple of weeks, actually, because I have been involved, probably I've been, maybe not the sole, I don't know, but maybe I've been the main driver for that. And then you were the, the main driver, Peter, uh, maybe you wrote, I, well, we you wrote so many letters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe we will find out, but maybe we'll find out that there's also somebody else, but could be. Yeah. And then I hadn't heard back from uh, Anne-Cedar Dickman. So over the weekend, that's the other thing I did. Actually, Saturday morning, <laughs> I started looking for telephone numbers. I asked you, you didn't have the number anymore. We must have had it, you know, because we visited him three you years. Organized that. You oh, organized I, yeah, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I probably yeah. did. But yeah. uh, there you go. So yeah. then I started looking for the Dickmanses in the telephone dictionary. And there were about 23, I think. And, and they you called were... everybody? No, I did not. No, but okay. I, did, I did call one. <laughs> And that took about five, ten minutes. It was a very nice talk with a person, but I had said, no, we haven't heard of Mr. Dickman. So, and then I decided, why not just, you know, drive there because I don't live that far away from him yep. uh, and just see how he's doing. So we had a, we had a wonderful chat. The way that he put it himself, he is doing fine for his age. 
And I must say, we had an almost two-hour discussion uh, that was very interesting, that went very deeply. He's still very strongly involved in research, uh, not only specifically, it goes more robotics, it goes more into philosophy. You recall that we had an interaction with, is that Professor... Metzinger, yeah, from the University of Mainz. Yeah, that's for example one that he is interacting closely with. But one step back. So, uh, for those of you that were not aware that hadn't heard, uh, so from 1973, uh, Anselm Dickmans, he was a professor for control and regulation technology at the Faculty of Aerospace Engineering uh, at the University of the Armed Forces in Munich. That's actually in the town where I live. Not in Munich, but they call it Munich. It's a smaller town, doesn't matter. Neubiberg, it's called. And where he founded the Institute for Technology of Autonomous Systems. And he, interestingly, he initiated research on what he called seeing vehicles. Just think about that, 1973. That's not 30, that's 50 years ago. Now, in the beginning of the 1980s then, his team, they used a Mercedes-Benz D508, D for diesel, I guess. Uh, it's a panel van, right? We call it Kastenwagen in Germany. And that was full of what they called 4D, dynamic machine vision electronics. And that way they could control the steering wheel, the brakes, the throttle of this panel van based on real-time images from the surroundings. Now, initially they tested it on an airfield, which is actually here. It's still available, but not as an airfield. It was already at that time not used anymore. And also on a new motorway, which is the, the motorway here from Munich to Passau. And that was not yet open to the public. Now, we're going to give you a link to the video for those of you that haven't seen it. It's, it's really amazing. And that's where you can see this van passing by. And the guy in it, he's, you know, waving his hands and showing, <laughs> you know, I'm not driving it. You know, this, this van is driving it itself. That was in the 1980s, right, 40 years ago. And at that time, also his team, they drove from Munich to Odensee in Denmark. It's about, you know, 1,700 kilometers at speeds of up to 100 kilometers per hour. And then in 1990, they had also two Mercedes S-Class. That's very interesting. That's, again, Moore's Law, right? At the beginning, they needed this big van for all the electronics. And, you know, 10 years later, the electronics had been, you know, shrinked such that they could use the Mercedes S-Class cars. Uh, and they drove autonomously on the city motorway in Paris. So that's all that he's been doing. And there are so many other things around. And and for those of you interested, and by the way, Ancita, he has also been a visiting professor at Caltech, also at MIT in Boston. And he did receive already a... Uh, a lifetime award in uh, from IEEE in 2016. So for those of you interested, not sure that we can. We did. You and I, we did. That's, uh, I believe, uh, 2019, at the end of the year. It was in December 2019, I remember, because the wife of Ernst Dieter Dickmanns right. made the best <laughs> cookies ever <laughs> I had at a podcast recording. We were there the whole afternoon, I think, and After the recording, she served this fantastic cookies. Which is more like, a, it's a typical thing people do around around Christmas. They bake uh, Christmas cookies, right? Christmas Something cookies, like yeah, yeah. I did remember on Saturday, I did, I did uh, again uh, thank her. For those of you interested in that interview, and we're going to make that link available to you as well. Uh, now, that at the moment, because 
we started putting our podcast on YouTube as well. Now it's in German. Now can we would we be able to put it again on YouTube? And would that mean that it would get a, a automatic translation then, or how does it work, Robert? Yeah, it's it's possible to do that. Why not? I mean, it's yep. it's a history document. I really believe it is. Yep. You can you can hear from the horse's mouth. Yes. Now that's a wonderful saying, I must say, because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you one thing that you can hear from him in that video, in that podcast. Not not a video. It's a podcast, right? Because. You know, he explains in our call, in our podcast at that moment, in our interview, his early thoughts behind what eventually then became to be autonomous driving, you know, in his use. And he was actually born not too far away from where I was born on the other side of the border, you know, uh, Germany, the Netherlands, he on the, on the German side. It's not that important, but he spent lots of time on the bench of a horse-drawn carriage, you know. So he would have been working in the countryside and he was sitting on this bench, a horse in front of him, and he would be, you know, he would be tired. He would not pay attention. Maybe he would even fall asleep and the horse would bring him home safely. That was his story, right? And I thought that wasn't me. I will never forget this. Yep. That was amazing. I think it's very interesting because great minds always worked on a farm, like Sepp or like Anstita Dickmans. They, they oh, really? all worked on a farm. They were oh, young. really? That's where they come from? Is causality? No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, Probably not. But again, I mean, if the great minds at that age, I mean, Anstita is a little bit older than Zab is, but uh, well, I, I guess we're going to have less and less people working on farms. So maybe the future great minds will not. But if you think that is possible, we haven't discussed it, I think it's worse because it's a, I think it's a his, historical document and it would be wonderful if also people from around the world you know that they could just listen in or in that case yeah i mean you, you're going to hear the german if that's what you're interested in but you would then be reading if you set your your youtube uh, to the automatic uh, automatic translation you can you can listen into and see the dickmans and the history of uh, autonomous driving and i think it's very interesting because our german wunderkind we call that mr trun he this work from nc dickman is also part from the work which is trun doing so they're in contact right Is it right? Not sure how much they are. We did talk about several. Well, I mean, they all know each other, right? One piece of information that I haven't shared yet is by Jürgen Schmidhuber. So they were very close together. And Jürgen was the first one. I contacted him and said, this is maybe interesting for you. And he says, very well deserved. And I know that they, you know, Jürgen was in Silicon Valley, not sure where he was doing a presentation. And that's where I believe, you know, Ernst Dieter was featured, kind of, you know, he was giving their one hour or something a presentation. Uh, I, I will also link, and we can provide that as well. I will put it on, um, on LinkedIn as well, a link to a page by Jürgen Schmidhuber on the history of a autonomous driving and that's where you can also see what role actually Ernst Dieter has played. So my news is not so spectacular like your news but Peter it's very very kind of you that you wrote these letters a lot. You, you wrote this letter since <laughs> 2019 I think after the interview 
And four years later, now we are here. Yeah, yeah I did three Finally. attempts here. One was with the university. And then the next one was I do have a number of political contacts, a weird contacts. I'm not political active at all. They, they are more from my men's choir where I sing. We don't go to in details. That didn't. And then the last one, and I did copy, and you suggested also because you had a contact there again. It was to the Bavarian state and the states of Germany. They are supposed to be looking at these kind of requests and then they pass it on to the, the federal state people. And they then have decided, and the announcement was actually from November from last year, and the award hasn't been give handed over yet. That's probably going to take place sometime in March, so um, we'll keep you up to date there. Great. I did some research on the new AI powerhouse in Europe. Do you know the new AI powerhouse? I can guess, but maybe yes. you tell me. It's Amsterdam. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. The news came out that 170 new PhD positions have been approved. Oh, wow. And another one, 87 million euros will be wow. invested. Okay. And K. Snook is responsible for the budget and We already had them on our podcast, and now comes my second news. You know, Kes will be our guest in July in Austria. We do our AI in the Alps event, and we are looking forward to meet there with our industrial AI friends and guest friends from the industry. And we have five more tickets, and we are doing a little lottery. If you want to take part of this lottery, send us a message, and then you can meet us in the Alps. So it, it's an honor for us to have Cass there. I think it's very, very interesting. We will talk about vision and we also should talk about Amsterdam a little bit. Okay, sounds great. We haven't discussed yet. We're typically, uh, Robert and I, what we do is after our uh, every second week call, we look at our contents plan and we haven't, I haven't shared. I did share you the, the plan beforehand, but there's a person, Mariam Miradi. It's a coincidence that she also studied at uh, University of Delft, but we just agreed on a March time slot. Oh, uh, she's go she's going to talk about explainability, time series, Python libraries. But that's interesting. It's not not directly, but only indirectly related that she's from, from Amsterdam as well. Uh, what does that mean, Robert, these five uh, tickets? are they? I mean, the people who are going to be there, they they are not going to be able to come free of charge, or? No, it's not free of charge. Right, it's only okay. the lottery, they have the possibility right. to go right. there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. very good. So it's a nice group, 20 people, no PowerPoint, only discussion about AI in industry. Sounds great. And you suggested they write you or me, best you? Yeah, it's up to them. Okay, looking forward to it. Thanks. And I have one more news. We need to talk once again very shortly about ChatGPT because there's an interesting article in the newspaper Times and it's called OpenAI Use Kenyan Workers on Less Than $2 Per Hour to Make ChatGPT Less Toxic. And that's the old problem about digital workers around the world. We had some some guys from Venezuela, we have this in Africa, and yeah, I will link the whole story in the show notes. What's your opinion, Peter? Well, we had this topic before, two years ago, I guess, and at that time, was it, how is uh, Amazon, AWS, they have a thing which we don't understand here, they call it Turk, I believe, you know, after the Turkish 
which we already at that time said that's almost like, you know, derogative. Why is that? I don't think it is with a negative sense, but nevertheless. And it's about at that time and, and others as well, not just AWS, I believe. It was about always for dividing between supervised, self-supervised and unsupervised. You know, and as long as you need supervised, so labeling, somebody needs to label. And most of us, you know, all do it all the time when we're supposed to go somewhere and then we're supposed to say what the word is or we need to choose a boat from nine pictures or whatever. We're always helping the labeling, you know, for the company who's asking us to do something. And already that time we had that discussion. That was a discussion about on one side is high tech providing billions, uh, earning multi-billions of dollars. Uh, and on the other hand is, you know, the people who get one or two dollars uh, per hour to do this kind of work. Now, on this topic of uh, chat GPT, and it's almost like, I must say, for a week, you know, and, and I believe you spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, maybe you also other ones, I exclusively LinkedIn, and it, it has been almost impossible to see one other message than chat GPT, almost until the point where I thought, okay, I'm just going to stop reading. I'm out for- now. For a couple of days. Now, very important and this thing. And, and I did discuss not directly, but on a higher level also with Anne Steeder again last Saturday on this topic. So he is very strongly now into this at a higher level as well, right? And we kind of agreed, I believe that we and most of the AI professionals, the professional researchers, they agree that we need to get back to a combination of symbolic, you know, the original AI, which for 20, 30 years from 1950s, 60s, got into the AI winter, you know, talking about winter outside, and it didn't move on. And then came, you know, the sub-symbolic, as it's sometimes called, machine learning-based, more statistics-based. Now, ChatGPT is, or we thought, had been almost exclusively, but not completely, statistics-based. And that's why many times it's just a parrot. With a, it, it sounds very authoritative, but it's many times saying crap because the parrot, you know, doesn't know. The parrot is not a human being and maybe has heard something somewhere and then somewhere else and then, then combines the sentences and tells nonsense. And we think that's very funny. Now, the, the big problem is that too many times ChatGPT does the same thing. You know, it tells things because it's just looking for the statistically highest probability next word, <laughs> outcome sentences that are, for whatever reason, at a very high quality authoritatively, but tells nonsense. Now, the good thing, now what they haven't done, as far as I understand, so they haven't combined with, as many researchers suggest, the original symbolic, you know, graph-based symbolic approach, which which is the way that we humans, you know, see things. There's a room and a table and outside is snow and what is snow and how does everything relate to each other, right? Now, to make sure that the parrot, so to say, doesn't tell nonsense too many times and doesn't go into, as happened in the past, saying very bad things. You know, there have been a couple of, uh, what was the one from Microsoft a couple of years ago? Teat Twat, or what was it called? I'm not sure. So in order to make sure that that doesn't happen, now we find out, and that's the news, that they have been, you know, using people. They've used people to to say, I don't know how that works. Maybe they, they are. They get questions asked, 
and then before then the human says okay now i'm going to talk about very bad things happening in the world war and anti-gender and all kind of other things you know they then have learned to provide let's say diplomatic answers i assume so maybe it's good that they do it the way they do it uh, is very questionable. And I think eventually, we have discussed it, I think they need to, I don't know what they need to, they need to stop providing this. And that was the thing Ernst Dieter said in general, they put technology on the market way too early. The technology is not there. I want to add something on this point. Please do. Because I had a discussion with Marco Huber from Fraunhofer IPA. Right. It's a friend of ours. And he shared an article, I will also link it in the show notes, about the topic open source and AI. And maybe this chat GPT from an ethical point of view could be not the end, but a point where open source is not as good as we think. Oh, really? There you go. So is it related to what I say? Yeah. That because now people are using it who yeah. have no no sense. I mean, is it about, I mean, what has been open source? And you are the specialist. And we had, we had sometimes a discussion on it. So as long as it's being used within the business community, you know, and people provide new tools and applications and things, and, and then the end user, the consumer, in a one to thousand or one to a million relationship, they use those tools and they don't care how it was developed, you know, with open source or now at this time what they have done right and it's 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 so weird you know that two years ago when they had the first version of their what they call it not chat gpt but their original thing three four or what what GPT yeah which, or free yeah, but it, yeah but it was not called chat gpt it's the no, original I don't, technology. I, i'm not sure whatever and then they said oh oh we need we need to be careful here and then everybody was laughing and everybody said oh this is a marketing gig right you know you just say this because and now i believe this is almost happening because now consumers who have no clue they start believing the answers that are being provided by ChatGPT. And that's why. So interesting. Yeah, I believe they have put this uh, technology to the market way too early. I saw a couple of answers by, what's the name of the OpenAI CEO, the young guy? Yeah, and he was talking about uh, AGI, so the artificial general intelligence. And he was saying, okay, we're getting close to AI as a, let's say, as a, as a robotic companion, you know, as a tool, I guess he was saying that can that can help you support you yeah not sure interested in what is coming out of from of, from your article there i'm not sure that they were doing the right thing here i think that it's going to be a big backlash one way or the other yeah i have one more quote from the article i checked it ai industry culture of publishing it's finding openly may soon and the need to end. And the guy you mentioned is Demis Hassabis. He's a DeepMind CEO. Right, Demis, yeah, right, yep. okay. Yep. And that's interesting. AI industry's culture of publishing, it's finding openly may soon need to end. Okay, yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking of Demis at all, but there you go. Yes, he, I, I did see that he is of the same opinion. And when he something, uh, says something, that has a much stronger value than I. But I'm a, a big supporter of, uh, of Demis. You know, I put him on the same level as, uh, as Andrew and G. And, of course, with... Yeah, I will the the article is also in the Times magazine to the show notes. Okay, yeah, we completely agree. They have put this technology on the market way, way, way too early. It's not it's not ready. Perfect. Let's switch to the main part. And today we present a startup from Germany. I talked to Martin Schiele. He's the founder 
and he had 50 minutes to convince me. So let's enjoy the podcast with Martin. Peter, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And once again, thank you very much for your letters <laughs> you wrote. And sure. uh, I think Anstieter Digmans is very happy to sure. receive this honor. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. And we haven't heard yet, just as a closing note from my side, we did see that there is a, a conference which is actually taking place here in the, in the state of Bavaria, right? I think it's supposed to be in English. And so we suggested that maybe we can we can be there. And actually, so the person in charge, so the, 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 the minister in, in charge there, uh, he's going to be there as well. So maybe we can be at that conference. And uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to, and I'm still spreading the news around the world. I think it's important. And I'm so very much happy for NC the Digmans that he is going to. And you are also a little bit proud of yourself, right? Well, yeah, but that's, yes. that's not the point at all. Yeah, I did put a lot of work in it and three times. And the last time we said, you know, uh, all good things are three, we say. But I'm very, very happy for Ansita that he's going to receive this uh, cross from the uh, federal president of Germany. Thank you very much, Peter. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Robert. Bye-bye. We are going to try something new today. We want to present an industrial AI startup once a month. The guest has up to 15 minutes to convince us and convince you. My first guest is Martin Schiele from AI UI. Hello, Martin. Hi, Robert. Great to have you here in the podcast. Please introduce yourself briefly, only in three or four sentences. Well, thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, my name is Martin Schiele. I'm the CEO and co-founder of our company, Artificial Intelligence User Interface, short AI UI. And yeah, we are delivering neural networks to our customers on-premise. On-premise. That's, that sounds very interesting. I am formed myself before we, we start recording. And you are not an auto ML tool, but an AI tool hodgepodge from GitHub with a nice interface. Is it that simple? Explain your tool and the technology behind it and what kind of input does the software need? Well, okay, let's start over with, okay, it's not that simple. Okay. Yeah, where do we come from? I, I started as an engineer. I wanted to use uh, machine learning for solving my problems for PhD and so on. And found out, okay, programming is a hard work to do. Especially in, in, in Germany, we got not enough people who can do programming very well. So we decided to create a software with a user interface to make it happen that people without programming knowledge can use the common AI tools, okay, for deep learning. And so that led us to creating a software that is capable of taking the user data. You can train neural networks, can test them, and can deploy them later on. It's an AI management system where you can steer and orchestrate everything around ML and machine learning, artificial intelligence. What distinguished you from other no-code solutions? Because that sounds like a no-code solution for me. Yeah, first of all, you can get our software aims uh, on-premise. That's very important to a lot of German companies uh, right now because they don't really want to share their data in, in cloud solutions. And that's the main, the unique selling point. And we offer not only a niche, we are able to serve um, solutions for time series, for text, for, for numeric values, for image, classification, segmentation, whatever, for everything that is around artificial intelligence, also document processing, handwriting recognition, whatever. But the idea is to scroll all open source tools regarding to AI and then building a nice interface. 
Yeah, that's right. Because right now it's like um, the community is is giving out a lot of open source tools. You can go to Hugging Face, you can find Git repositories where you find really good performing AI models doing specific stuff, even on TensorFlow and, and PyTorch. But yeah, that requires knowledge of programming. That's the problem. So we were building the user interface. We are integrating all the, the data flow structures. You need to uh, make everything convenient and try to find, okay, what do our customers need? Implement it from the sources from the internet inside our software and deliver it yeah, in a way that the people can use it without coding knowledge. That's, that's mainly the part that you addressed, yeah. How secure is it to use these open source tools? Pretty secure, I would say, because the only thing we take from them is the, the neural network. For example, if you got a big transformer, like T5, Flan T5 from uh, Google, it's a pretty new one, it's trained to do some specific tasks and we, we don't take much more than the network itself. Ah, okay. So in our last episodes, we discussed a lot the topic about foundation models and big models, how to use this foundation models. Is it a task for the future to find small items, small interesting features in these foundation models and use this for industrial use cases? Is it also a possibility for your company? Maybe, yeah, maybe in the future. But from what we see right now, it's more important to have a standardized way to use these tools. There is so much out there, so many possibilities, pe people can't use it. So you're focusing on the software and the tools. Yeah, right. So right now we are doing a lot of projects because many customers aren't ready to do it. They don't know what, is, what can AI do to their business. So we try to help them understand how to use it. And in my opinion, it will take up to two years until they wake up a little bit more. Can you explain your tool once again and the technology behind it? Okay, for example, if you got a use case like quality control assurance standard for, for industry companies, you get a product you create and you want to check it um, afterwards with a camera. So you, you're taking pictures. For example, if you use a, a butt-off system, you can you get a REST interface where you can send images through the network. And you use AIUI, you collect, for example, 200 images of your product, mark them as okay or not okay, or yeah, you use our annotation tool to annotate on these pictures what is wrong with the project for instance segmentation. And then you can train an AI algorithm like Mask or CNN, it's a very popular one. And then you got this trained model with your specific problem, your specific data, and can deploy it on an industrial PC, a personal contributor, and can use this model then in combination with your hardware, in this case, the Battle of Camera. So you don't need to buy an extra hardware. You just make that hardware you got smarter. And your software recommends the right algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. How do you do that? Because there are so many algorithms in the world, and how do you pick the correct one so all the time there is a state of the art uh, in the time you you start over for example if you would like to do some image classification tasks you would right now use efficient net for example so the user is just picking this architecture trains the the model and nothing more you don't have to know about the other models that are out there we will suggest them uh, what is the best to use right now. Okay, so that is your domain knowledge that you know which are the best and this is hard code programming, right? Yeah, that's right. He or she can choose other algorithms. They can test it. It's our, our software is so easy that you can just choose another one and try if it's working better with this uh, architecture. It's just uh, in a matter of no time. So it's not an auto ML or what is the difference to an auto ML tool? Well, AutoML uses either specific architecture like we do and trains with automatic parameters, 
or they um, try to figure out, okay, which solution might be the best way. Most AutoML tools that just use tabular data, as numeric data, they often don't use deep learning models. They use like decision trees or random forests. But we are specialized on just using deep learning models because they can handle everything. They can handle audio data, text data, everything. And so I buy your software, then I will install it on my computer, on my... Do you need a GPU instance? You don't need to. You, you can get the software for free first, and then you can see, okay, if you really need a GPU support and you got a GPU, you might have to invest some money. Okay, that's some upselling we, we do there. But you can use the software for free, but only with CPU power. And depending on your problem, uh, if you just have some, whatever, classification tasks with a few data, you might not need any uh, upselling. You can just use, use it from scratch. We did it with a lot of uh, customers right now. But if you need to train, for example, an image classification or segmentation algorithm, you might need GPU training power. It will take ages, right? Can you describe your perfect customer? Which company do you want to reach? Yeah, the perfect customer would be um, a partner like, can I just name one, like Kuka, for example, because they got a lot of customers, they got hardware, and they want to make this hardware smarter. So we deliver the, the software that has the capabilities to use existing hardware to make it smarter. And they got distributions, they got the, the customers. Or for example, another another one, we are in contact with Powerdical partners that help cities, for example, processing documents like okay any kind of documents that are handwritten for example and we do this too okay please give us at the end a use case an industrial use case please okay i would like to take one i can talk about from cup niles cup niles is a directly from the industry and they create uh, machines for uh, grinding discs uh, so they create them machines to grind metal and they create these discs by themselves so they got this um, steel discs And they bring on on this disc some diamonds. But in this production step, normally, yeah, there are some, some faults uh, taking place there because the diamonds are not completely enclosing the disc sometimes. So you got space left in between and this is an arrow, a fault. So in the last 40 years, they got one sitting in front of a microscope and checking all the discs by hand. This uh, person was going to get too old. And they wanted to try out if they can automate it. So it's one of our first customers and they bought a really cheap uh, microscope just so this is a, another hint so you don't need like a 7k um, expensive cameras you can just buy one from amazon for 100 euro and they automated the process and were capable of just finding the defaults by using our software in a matter of two weeks and now they are upselling this software to their customers or what um, no they are using this is to distinguish because They are using it to uh, reduce costs on their side, so they don't have to hire another uh, employee for this job. But there are other customers, but you can choose either reducing costs inside or make your product more interesting to other customers. And then, yeah, that's another case. So what are your next steps with your startup, with your company? Are you looking for an investor or uh, are you looking for new employees? What are the next steps? Yeah, well, we are well-funded right now. We we have done a funding round and we're collecting more than one million in this one. And right now, we yeah, we sure search for some employees because we got a lot of work to do right now. And for partners, companies that think about, okay, can AI be a part of my software solution, for example, for my hardware solution, and we can deliver the user interface that they can sell to their customers to make it happen on their own in the future. 
I think it's very interesting, your business model, because you are not the AI guys, you are the user interface guys, right? Ah, no, not really. Um, yeah, you are partially right, because we are the user interface guys, but there's a whole lot of other work to do around that. You got a database, you, you have to pre-process the data, or the customers have to have capability to pre-process the data inside our software, because they don't they are not able to do programming. And right now we are doing a lot of projects face-to-face um, -face with the customers. So we initially have to find the AI that solves the problem and then implement it into AI UI. This is our process right now. We don't go ahead and try to fit everything inside that is out there. We, we, we talk with the customer, find out uh, what is the, the need, what are the requirements, and then implement it in our software and deliver it to all customers. 50 minutes. We are on point, Martin. Thanks a lot. We wish you a lot of success with your company. If you want to reach Martin, you can find him on LinkedIn and the email address I will put in the show notes. And thank you very much, Martin. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me. Mm -hmm.